Father, we thank you that we have this time to meet with our brothers and sisters and to meet with you. We ask that as we reflect on your word, we ask that you would give us understanding into it and help, it, help us to apply it to our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Some encounters change everything. Sometimes we encounter God in such a way, he shakes us up in such a way to the core that our lives are radically transformed. In those times, we're willing to do whatever he wants us to do. John the Baptist had been preaching sermons, and one day, a number of people had a powerful encounter with God that changed everything. At the end, many of them said, I believe this. I want to change my life. What should I do? What should we do? That is an amazing question. Anytime a human being asks that of God, anytime that we are open enough to doing whatever it is he might have for us, that is an amazing thing. But in Luke 3, this question is all the more amazing because of who is asking it. In our lifetimes, the continental United States has never been invaded or occupied by a foreign army or country. And so it's a little bit difficult for us to step back into Luke 3, into what was going on. In Luke 3, Israel was occupied by the Roman government, by the Roman army. And it's hard for us to wrap our heads around the anger and frustration day in and day out, that we would deal with if we were ruled by a foreign government, occupied by a foreign army, with that army telling us what we could and could not do. But to God's people long ago, that was the reality. That is where they were living. Israel was occupied and ruled by the Roman Empire. And that occupation by Rome was made possible in large part, by two occupations, tax collectors and Roman soldiers. So John is preaching to a, a diverse crowd, and among them are God's people, but also Roman soldiers and tax collectors. And at the end, many of them get baptized, and they come to John and they say, we want to change our lives. We believe your message, and we believe in this God. What should we do now? The best modern-day example I could think of is if it would be like Wall Street banking CEOs and politicians that we might blame for some of the problems we currently face. It would be like them coming up after the service and genuinely saying, I've been convicted by God. I want to change my life. What should we do? At the end of John's sermon, these people who were thought of as, as evil, as oppressive, come to him and it's surprising what John does not tell them. He does not tell them to stop being tax collectors or soldiers. Even though these people were used to regularly oppressing God's people, and even though most Israelites thought that when the Messiah came, the Messiah would kick the Romans out. This would be a great start if tax collectors just 
abandoned their posts in mass, if revenues to the Roman Empire dried up from Israel, if Roman soldiers just started abandoning their posts, this would be a good start to getting the Roman Empire out. But John does not tell them to quit. Instead, he tells the tax collectors to do their job, but to only collect what they're supposed to. He tells the soldiers to do their jobs well, with integrity, and to be satisfied with their wages. In doing so, God, through John the Baptist, says two things about work. He affirms the value and importance of work. Most jobs are necessary. Certain things just need to get done. And second, God says, whatever your work is, whatever it is, do it with integrity. Today marks the last week in our 10-week sermon series, 10 Tough Questions. And today we ask, what difference, if any, does our faith make at our workplace? Let's think together about the work that you do. That work may be paid, it may be unpaid. It may be primarily mental work or physical work. It may be done at home or away from home. I'm going to define work in two ways this morning. The first way I'm going to define work is the tasks we spend the majority of our time doing. The second way I'm going to define work is human contribution to God and his world. You'll see that those definitions of work include a lot. Even if we are unemployed, we still have work. Even if we are retired or a student, we still have work. When I say that word, W-O-R-K, what's the first word you think of? Paycheck? Tired? Frustrating? Fulfilling? A tool to help you up the economic ladder? If you're like me, you spend a lot of time thinking about your work. But we don't always spend a lot of time thinking about how our faith impacts our work. Many times when Christians talk about taking their faith to work, they speak of doing that in, in two ways. Christians are often encouraged, if, if you don't work in a, a ministry environment, if you work in a secular job environment, Christians are encouraged to share their faith with their co-workers who do not know Christ. That's biblical, that's helpful, and that's good. Another common thing that especially successful business people are encouraged in is to be as successful in business as possible, to make as much money as they can so they can give away as much money as possible to Christian ministries. That, too, is a good thing. But sometimes when we talk about how we apply our faith to work, when we speak only in those categories, sometimes the message that's conveyed, either implicitly or explicitly, is that the actual work we do has little or no intrinsic value to God. And sometimes the message that's conveyed is the real work of the kingdom is done by pastors and missionaries and normal people, but only when you volunteer in, in ministries outside of work. So today, I want us to explore this passage from Luke 3 a little bit 
and try and dig a little bit deeper. I love this passage in Luke because John addresses occupations that were viewed as evil. As we mentioned before, both tax collectors and Roman soldiers were despised by God's people. And yet, John refuses to bash their occupations. Isn't that interesting? I bet you could think of some occupations you despise. John the Baptist was God's messenger to an extent that few people in history have ever been. And John wasn't in the habit of telling people what they wanted to hear. So it's all the more striking he does not tell them to quit. In doing so, he says two things about work. He affirms the value God places on their work, on the jobs they're doing. And second, he says, you must do them with integrity. The first thing he does is he affirms the value of their work. What do doctors and lawyers and priests have in common? That's not the start of a joke. I wish it was. Maybe somebody can help me write one. But what do those three occupations have in common? Student debt, maybe. (laughs) Didn't think about that one. Probably. Everybody, long hours, everybody in those occupations are all trying to save lives. They're all trying to save lives. A few years ago, my family had an emergency. And as part of that emergency, we found ourselves in a courtroom. And there's this judge up there who is a great guy, but unlike any judge I'd seen in the movies, the judge was in control. He was dealing with integrity and and decisions were being made quickly. And it was clear these decisions would have huge ramifications for a long time. And it was also clear that my family and I had no idea how to navigate that system. But when we found a good lawyer, that changed everything. And that day, that lawyer was doing kingdom work by safely navigating my family through that time. They helped us put barriers in place to ensure that we were safe. Every week we pray here that God's kingdom would come on earth the way it is in heaven. God wants us to pray that, but he also wants us to work towards that end. When accountants are crunching numbers to make sure that businesses can stay profitable, so that those businesses can continue to employ people, so that those people can put food on the table, those accountants are doing kingdom work. When janitors do their job well and keep restrooms sanitary so that you and I do not get sick, they're doing kingdom work. When they keep communal spaces clean and inviting to promote community and fellowship for us, they are doing kingdom work. And even salespeople. I submit to you that when salespeople bring awareness to their customers of which product is best for them, when they're looking out for the interest of their customers and not themselves, they are doing kingdom work. I met a guy this weekend 
who's the head of in-store marketing for Downey, for North America. Any Downey fabric softener coupon you may pick up, he's the dude behind it. And so I was talking with him about what's the difference between fabric softener and dryer sheets. And I learned a lot. He said, he said, dryer sheets are better at eliminating static clean. But fabric softener is for people who like a softer feel, who want a pleasant scent. But then I learned something that was of great value to me. He explained how lint is actually our clothes breaking down slowly. And he said, if you use fabric softener, that will decrease the rate of decay in your clothes. Is that amazing or what? I was thinking... <laughs> Why had nobody ever told me this? And I submit to you, in that conversation, that man was doing kingdom work. He is helping me, albeit in a small way, help me being a better steward of my clothes and hence my finances. So you might say at this point, Josh, come on, that's going a little far. Salespeople doing kingdom work. There were probably people in the crowd, as John preached, who thought John was going too far in saying it was okay to still be a tax collector or a soldier. But notice he didn't tell them their jobs were fine no matter how they did them. He told them they must do their jobs with integrity. He says, if you want your faith to impact your work, do it with love and integrity. Some Christians get bored or want to move on to more complicated things when they hear people talk about integrity at work. And if you fall into that camp, if the thought of doing your work as a Christian with integrity and love, if that seems easy or basic or straightforward, that's because you've been blessed. That's because you are among the lucky few. You're among the fortunate few who have not had to deal with bruising office politics or deceitful customers or coworkers or bosses. If integrity sounds like a small thing, it's because you have lucked out. For those of us who have lost sleep because of deceitful coworkers or who have been in organizations that do not value integrity, we know how healing it is when we work with people who have integrity. If you set out to work with integrity, even when others do not, you are increasing the difficulty of your job automatically. It's going to be hard. But if you do so, you will bless people and you will bless God. We've seen in this passage that God affirms the intrinsic value of work. There are jobs that that need to get done. And when they're done well, they help God's world flourish. And he wants us to do those jobs with integrity, to, to use our work as an act of service towards others and not to serve ourselves. In Genesis 2, there's another significant theme of work that comes up. God wants us to use our imaginations. Regardless of whether or not we work in a creative, quote-unquote, field, he wants us to use our imaginations. When he instructed Adam to name the animals, he invited Adam to use his imagination. And as we think about how we work with integrity, 
we will need a biblically inspired imagination. As we seek to do our jobs with integrity in a world that does not always encourage it, we will need to find creative new ways of doing our jobs well with integrity and imagination. Perhaps a place to start is to ask, what good or service am I providing? And how could I provide that good or service in the way that best helps people to flourish as God intended creation to be? And if I were on the receiving end of my good or service, what would bless me? What would I want? And then apply that to your work. There's one other way, I think, that we can help each other to encourage each other as we seek to integrate our faith with our work more. We can help each other by stop assigning artificial rankings to different occupations, to different kinds of work. Sometimes you and I place certain occupations above others. That's not always biblical, and it's hardly ever helpful. Instead, what if we helped each other with renewed eyes see the valuable work that you and I do, even if that work is not applauded by society? Michael Mangus put it this way. He said, If God has called you to be a janitor, don't step down to be king. I've got a lot of janitor quotes today. Here's one more. This one's from Martin Luther King. He said, If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets like Michelangelo painted, like Beethoven composed music, or like Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Please pray with me. Father, we ask for your kingdom to come. We ask that you would teach us to see our work as woven into your work in the world. We pray for parents at home with their children. We pray for laborers around the city who do so many things and, and thankless jobs to make sure that we can do the things we need to do. We think of those in the academy, both students and teachers. Father, we give you thanks for the things you've allowed us to do. We, we give you thanks for business people who know how to start businesses that can employ us and, and give us sustenance. And we lift up to those who, who have work that is unfulfilling or frustrating we lift up those who are unemployed and would like to be. Father, whatever the current work that is before us, we ask that you would give us the wisdom, the faith, and the courage to do that work with integrity. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.